Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. We'll have stick taps for the first time all season. Of course, we'll have you can bet that for Sports Interaction. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames and Elias Lindholm and his uh, very interesting scrum. But we have to talk about the most interesting story of the week. It's very weird. It's very confusing. It's Mike Babcock. Just weird, CJ. Uh, I guess yeah. weird, weird the way it all played out, right? It kind of played out yes. in, in real time on social media, essentially. Um, I... I think the whole thing, it's just a reminder of how powerful social media to me is in our lives Um, because a lot of people are running with that story. Obviously, what's come out since from the Blue Jackets PR department and and from Boone Jenner and speaking to some local reporters in Columbus is that that there's not a lot of substance to this story. Um, It's it, it to me, it just is a reminder of how much things have changed, frankly, and how you know, you can throw something out there and everyone goes bananas and then you're left at the end and you're like, wait, we're kind of picking through the wreckage now, right? Like what's, what's true, what's false, what matters, what, what's going to matter in a week from now, if any of this, um, you know, very strange kind of way that that all played out. I'd say that that that's my, my biggest feeling about how Tuesday went. Let me give a bit of backstory for those who are not in the know about what happened. So from earlier this week, an excerpt of the Spit and Chicklets podcast uh, surfaces online where Paul Bissonnette, a.k.a. Biz Nasty, uh, reports that Mike Babcock, uh, he had gotten a text from a player saying that Mike Babcock would ask players for photos off their phones during these meetings, and the photos would later be shown on a television in, my, in Mike Babcock's office through AirPlay, and Bissonnette is saying that tons of players have confirmed it first on the on the episode he seems to think okay well he, he straight up says out loud if this is true uh if if this isn't true they would look like idiots but then later on he would say okay tons of people have confirmed it uh, then a statement comes out through the blue jackets where uh mike babcock and boone jenner uh, are basically trying to downplay it. Babcock is saying he's just asking for family photos as a way to get to know his players. And Boone Jenner is basically reiterating the same thing. And then you have players like Zach Wierenski and Johnny Goudreau also downplaying it as well, saying no boundaries were crossed, and the story was blown out of proportion. Meanwhile, Paul Bissonnette continues to double down on the allegations. And now we're at a point where the NHL and the NHLPA are looking into this, CJ. Do you have anything on that front? Well, look, the NHL has found no issue here. Uh, you know, Bill Daly's made that apparent, the deputy commissioner. The NHLPA at this this point in time is still, I think, gathering more information, talking to, to players in Columbus to make sure there is no issue, that no boundaries were crossed, because that's obviously under their purview in terms of representing players that play in the NHL. I think let's let's cut to the heart of the matter. There's no dis- There's no dispute here. Mike Babcock has had players put pictures of their phones up on a TV or he's looked at pictures on, on the, their cameras. That's, that's been acknowledged by him. He said it's been part of getting to know the players, getting to know their families, what's important to them. I think what's really at issue at this point in time is do any of those players, is there even one out there that has an issue with the way it was handled? Did he feel as though his privacy was being crossed or, or that maybe Mike Babcock was trying to find something else on his phone while he was looking through those photos, you know, 
that isn't clear to me. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's obvious that Paul Bissonnette feels that this crossed the line, but do any of the players that have had those interactions feel that same way? And are they willing to pursue it? I think that that's, that's really what it boils down to. I mean, let's, let's face facts here. Mike Babcock as as evidenced by the reaction to this, the, the pretty extreme reaction to this is not going to get much benefit of the doubt, given some of the things that have gone on in his past and his previous coaching stops in Toronto, Detroit, and Anaheim. Um, you know, there, there've been players from Mitch Marner to Johan Franzen, the former Red Wings forward, um, to some players, and in, in, even from his days in Anaheim, we've talked about the sort of mental games they felt the coach played with them and didn't appreciate. You know, Mike Babcock's coming back to the league after, you know, more than three and a half years out of it. And, you know, he's done a story with Nick, Nick Kotsanik of NHL.com, a three-part series where he's talked about all the ways he intends to be different this time around. And so um, there's a lot kind of under the surface here, I think, because of the, the history of the coach and, and the strong reaction he's elicited from some of his former players. Uh, you know, Frankie Corrado, who, who played for Babcock uh, in Toronto, was on the radio. I don't know if you heard this week, Julian, on TSN radio. I did. You know, quite eloquently, you know, didn't want to weigh too much in on the Columbus aspect of this because he doesn't didn't have specific information as what happens with the Blue Jackets, but, you know, kind of aired his views on how Mike Babcock operates and and all these things. So, um, you know, it's a reminder that even though Mike Babcock surfacing in one of the smaller markets in the league, uh, a team, you know, that I don't think a lot of people have huge expectations for, given where they've been, he's still under a pretty intense microscope, given who he is. Yeah, it, this is strange to be considering Mike Babcock, you know, just with the history, as you mentioned, and also Paul Bissonnette coming out of the woodwork and, and saying this and doubling down and tripling down. He, the way that he's defending the story, he seems to think there's something to this. And I have to think that because of what he has at stake through his own podcast and his own TNT dealings, he, like he wouldn't just do this to just, I mean, potentially this could torch him if he ends up looking like an idiot doing this, which makes this all the more stranger. But I don't feel compelled at this point to take a side in all of this. And I'm not advocating that anyone really should. Everyone should just kind of hold out for facts until just basically hold out for the facts. Once we get them, it's just, I don't know. I, I think you have it right. When you say we can't really, like, because of the strong reactions that this has essentially elicited towards Mike Babcock, it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt on this one because of prior history. And we've, t we've talked about Mike Babcock on this podcast before and whether or not he truly has done the work to get that second chance and i think that's why people have reacted the way that they have as well it's it's a lot to take in it's just i don't well, know it's, man. I, it's I also, context yeah, and characterization right like yes. as we go back to it we do know and, and he's acknowledged in his statement and, and the, the brief interview i read that he gave in columbus he's acknowledged that he has been asking players to show pictures of their families this has been part of his deal he said that when he got hired by the blue jackets he did the same with management that he showed them some photos from it. I mean, this is clearly something he's using to, to try to start building a rapport with, with the new people he's going to work with. And so that isn't under any dispute here. And that's really what, I mean, Paul Bissonnette mentioned this photo thing, right? He mentioned that a player, he mentioned Boone Jenner by name and mentioned that multiple players have been called into the office and basically had the, their, their, you know, put on airplay and had their pictures up on the screen in his office. But the question is, you know, Paul Bissonnette was saying that that was crossing a line. He was saying that that was bad and it was this and that. The question is, you know, is that actually the case? I mean, it doesn't, there doesn't yet seem to be smoke in that direction other than what Paul has said. And, and I'm not out here trying to rip down anyone else's reporting or anything like that. 
I just Norma. think that, that is the facts. I mean, we're, we're two days later recording this and the NHLPA is still looking into it. But, you know, as far as my, I'm aware, they haven't found anyone again who said that this was, this was really offside and he was really trying to do something underhanded. Um, you know, it's just a weird story, really. I think it's, you know, part of it is, again, very controversial figure in the league. And it's a time when there really isn't a whole lot of other news going on. And so this this lands like an atomic bomb on a random Tuesday before camps are even open. Technically, two controversial figures, if you account for Spit and Chicklets association with Barstool, which I think also plays into why people are very much trying to stay in the middle of this. I'll, I'll ask just one other thing. With Did you with see, actually, the, uh, Biz, Biz actually posted one of the, a screen grab of one of the texts he got. He and, did, and, yes. that, and the text that, that I read, it seemed to be a player not on the Blue Jackets who said he's doing this like he did to me. Um, and again, it, it comes down to characterization then. It, it's, you know, someone told someone told someone. And basically, I think in this case, it's, it's does this actually cross a line? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think we have to understand too, like the, working in professional sports, it's a different like we can't really compare it to what we do in our jobs because it's just a different work environment, right? I mean, for example, obviously something like as simple as swearing at each other is quite commonplace in, in that workplace. Whereas if you work in an office, that kind of behavior generally isn't tolerated, again, depending on what kind of job you have. Like it's hard to, to imprint what we think should be the workplace. So really, I think it is about do the people in that, that are used to working in that environment, do they think it's crossing the line? I mean, there's a lot of talk in, in professional sports, you lead about brotherhood, right? About family, that, that we are an extended family. Uh, I do know when Mike Babcock did coach in Toronto that they did have some sort of practice where they'd have all the staff and the players in the dressing room. And, you know, each staff member or whatever would take a turn and talk about three things that are most important to them in their life uh, in front of the whole group. And, you know, it was all about sort of building the trust in the group. And so it, for me, this is kind of, it could be an extension of that. But, but again, I, I wasn't in the room and I don't know how I would feel. Maybe if, if it was my boss asking me, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm more that was of an what open, I was about to ask you. I'm more of an open book. Like, you know, my, myself, like I wouldn't, you know, if, if you or Jesse or Adam, you know, want to see, you know, pictures of my family, my dad, what's important to me, I, I could show you, like, I wouldn't have an issue with that, but that's not to say everybody would feel the same way. Right. And so this is, this is, I guess, where we, we get into some of the gray here, um, and it, and it also depends how this was broached, right? Like, is the camera roll going up there? Or is it just like, hey, CJ, find a couple, you know, find a nice picture from your summer and show me what your vacation looked like. I mean, there's there's different ways this could have happened. Um, yeah, I, w- I wonder, like, could you imagine, like, walking into Mike Babcock's office and then on the TV, it's been a couple of weeks since that meeting occurred. And you're like, well, why are my photos still up on your television? I don't know. Like, I don't know how it works on that front, but like. Like, that would be very weird. Like, one thing I have not heard in this story is a player saying, this happened and I didn't consent to it. Like, we've heard people say, like, yeah, I did this. I didn't think it was that weird. But we have not heard anyone say, uh, I do not consent to this. Because it, it seems to me as well, unless I'm wrong, that Mike Babcock basically has a player in his office, says, I want to see these photos. And the player's like, okay. Whether or not they feel comfortable about it or not, they do, they do consent, and then they're up there. And I'm not saying that's – if there's a very uncomfortable situation in that too, that has to be addressed and it has to be brought up, if it, but we haven't heard that yet. The whole thing's strange, isn't it? Um, 
Like I don't know, and and and, and the SDP. It's hard to sit on the sidelines. And, it is and like judge, right? Like I, I don't. You're not in that meeting. You don't know how it feels, how it's brought up, how it comes across, how the reception is. Like it's all all that nuance matters. I think. Absolutely. Like I, I can't look at that statement from Columbus and say, "Well, that's just it." Like I, I, my brain, your brain too, because we're both journalists, is thinking, "Okay, is that." There's you can't just take that face values or something else. Paul Bissonnette too. Like I I don't know what to do with that information. It's it's I'm basically holding out for more players to say something, and I'm basically holding out for the NHL, the NHLPA to conclude their investigation and say this is what we found. This is it. Open shut case. That's what I'm waiting for at this point. Also, I don't know how I would feel if. I was just meeting Adam Wild for the first time, and he calls me up and he says, "Hey, you want to do the CJ show? Show me photos of your family." I obviously wouldn't be worded that way, but like, I don't know how I'd feel about that. At least getting to know them. Now we're all we're all friends. So like, if you were to be like, "Hey, show me photos of your family," I'd be like, "Yeah, absolutely." It sounds like an icebreaker, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like an icebreaking kind of activity before you to get to know someone? I mean, I assume I don't know. Like for any other for any other coach, we would just look this over as oh. a pure icebreaker. For any other coach, we might we might do that. It does any other coach? A, we're probably not talking about it because I doubt it gets out in the public. Or if yeah. we are, someone might be writing a story like in the local market. But look at this unique way that Coach X is getting to know player Y. But because of the history here, I just think a lot a lot was projected onto this story. And and look, I'm not defending anything. From Mike no, Babcock's past, where he's absolutely the line. not. There's I, a reason why we're worried about this and we're thinking about this before people think about it. There's a reason why we're wondering, huh? Is this mind games? There's a reason why Frank Corrado went to uh, went on the mic the way that he did and and said what he said about Mike Babcock. There's there's a whole mind game element to this that casts that shadow of doubt. Like, what if there's an ulterior motive? What if this shows that Mike Babcock hasn't completely changed as much as he says he has. There's there's a whole bunch of reasons to doubt Mike Babcock in this situation. Sorry, right. and for anyone who missed Frankie Corrado on on first up with TSN this week, you know what I what was interesting, obviously he's a player he played the season under Babcock in Toronto and he was scratched for most of the season. Like he literally almost spent the entire season as a scratch. Um you know, he had also played in Vancouver after being drafted under John Tortorella and he was saying that people will lump sort of old school coaches together in, in the way they talk about them. But from his experience, the difference was Tortorella would come to you and really be upfront about sort of gaps in your game or mistakes you made and, and be sort of un, unrelenting about that. Just be like, this is where you screwed up. This is why you're not good enough and be very upfront. And, and he said that players actually appreciate that as hard as it can be to, to hear, to take in that information, maybe in the moment, it does let you know exactly what the coach is thinking of you and where you have to maybe work on and things like that. He was saying the issue with Babcock is that he doesn't do that, that he doesn't address, at least again, in Frankie Corrado's experience, these issues head on with players and that he instead sort of plays mind games and, and ha- tries to leave you guessing and doesn't address things uh, straight on. And, and he said that that really can mess with your mind. I mean, again, we're talking about athletes that live under the spotlight, which I think is difficult just in general. And they're largely young people, right? I mean, when Frankie Corrado played for the Leafs, he was like 23 or something. He didn't get the play. Ultimately, you know, he does have an ax to grind, it's fair to say, uh, against Mike Babcock, probably because of his personal experience there. But that that's what he shared on the radio. And I did think that 
it is an important delineation because often we just sort of say old school coach, new school coach, but you know, there's probably some, some room for various things uh, in the middle when you're actually examining what that means. Maybe you're right, CJ. Maybe by next week, we won't even think about this. It'll just be a small blip in news and notes, and then we'll get to questions for Ask CJ. Maybe it'll be that, but maybe it doesn't. But the fact that it ends up being the most interesting story of this week is just... Uh, I'm, I'm literally doing a face bomb for those who are listening on audio. Like, ugh. Like, what a weird story. <laughs> we had two days to prepare for this, and I still feel like... Me too, <laughs> Like, did we even, like, sum this thing up? Because it's just such a strange one. It is. The only thing we could really do is just wait on whatever um, is said from the PA. And uh, Yeah, and I'll be following up there. I'll be sure to stay on that. All right. Well, I'm glad we were able to talk about it as long as we did. I'm, I'm glad we were able to have that conversation. Uh, we should get to sports interaction, uh, and you can bet that. And then uh, we'll talk about uh, the Calgary Flames on the other side of that. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Siege, I want to look at the Atlantic Division. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have uh, those odds uh, pretty close to the Colorado Avalanche uh, to win the Stanley Cup. So, of course, they're the favorite to win the Atlantic Division at plus 189, according to Sports Interaction. Boston at plus 342. Florida at plus 427. Tampa Bay to win the division. Their odds at plus 431. Then followed by Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, and Montreal. If you're feeling really lucky, at plus 10,400. Is this really the, the, this division? Is this really the Maple Leafs own to lose? I, I, I can see where you make that case. Look, I mean, Tampa at this point is, is such a playoff-hardened team that you wonder, as motivated as I'm sure they are after losing the first round last year, to come back and, and sort of prove something to themselves. I, I don't think that that's a team that's going to put all that much stock in the regular season beyond just getting in. You know, Boston, after that amazing season last year, but but losing some some pretty significant pieces of their team, I think it's it's fair to see a step back there. Whereas I do think, you know, the one thing the Leafs have, have kind of failed to do in the Atlantic, I know in the Canadian division, uh, back in, in pandemic days, they won the division, but you know they haven't managed to finish atop the division. I, I could see the Leafs really pushing for that, prioritizing that, and I certainly think they have a good enough team to do it. And so I, I can talk myself into that. But I mean, what a what an interesting division! It sort of feels like this year might be the year one of the the teams, whether it's a Buffalo or an Ottawa, really take a jump up. I, I don't know if they're going to go all the way to the top, um, but you know the, the sort of big three. You know, and let's include Florida went to a cup final, big four at the top. Like, I don't know if any of those teams really need to win the division. They're all just looking to get in. And so it's it's a it's it's kind of an interesting one to call. And it's it's a meat grinder at the top of this division. That's why it's been so hard for some of those teams that have been rebuilding to to step up and make the playoffs. Maybe those uh, top four teams will let Buffalo win for once. It could happen. I mean, <laughs> I have to feel like it's going to happen one of these years. You know, even in Ottawa, right? I see Pierre Dorian. He's talking about like he knows we're going to win. Like, like they they're expecting to win at some point, but they it's a long, long way to go just to get in the playoffs for those teams from where they've been. Well said, Siege. Uh, and don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com/sdpn for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com/sdpn. Siege. One last thing. 
on Mike Babcock and the and the Blue Jackets situation. Uh, I just saw from Elliot Friedman, uh, NHLPA Executive Director Marty Walsh and Assistant Executive Director Ron Hainsey, who once upon a time, I believe, was a Columbus Blue Jacket. They are in Columbus to meet with players as part of the investigation with Mike Babcock and phones. Uh, just want that out there. We didn't get to address that in the first segment that we had, but uh, just to show that this is something the NHLPA seems to be taking seriously. Just want well, that out. And it makes sense too, right? Marty Walsh is new on the job. He, you know, he brought in Hainsey as one of his first moves when he was hired uh, last year in the spring. And, you know, he's still getting to know a lot of the membership, right? I know that he's, he's done work over that in the last number of months with how much he's, how many air miles he's racked up. But, it, you know, this is an opportunity for him too to, to be on the ground and, and, you know, get to, to, to the bottom of this issue and get to know some of those players. So I, I think it makes sense. And, and, you know, this is totally not apropos of nothing, but Ron Hainsey is an excellent puck doku answer. If you need to know, because not only did he play in Columbus, Montreal, Toronto, yes. Ottawa, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, and Winnipeg. That's just off the top of my head. I might've missed one of his stops along the way. I think he played in Carolina too, briefly. So that's, he's a, He's, he's an excellent answer if you're looking for a puck doku, uh, you know, one that can work in a lot of boxes. Uh, you, so you're still you're still playing puck doku, huh? Every day. Every day. I didn't get a chance to play uh, for this morning yet, but you are right. He has played. I remember when he – well, it's funny to say I remember. I used to have this giant, uh, like, record book, I think from – the 01 or 02 season, Ray Bork winning the cup is on the front. And I would look through the 02 draft results because I think that was the year he was drafted sixth overall by the Canadians. So that's just like imprinted on my brain. That should be the Ilya Kovalchuk year. So Jason Spezza would have gone number two that year. Uh, yeah, anyway, I don't need to be a total nerd. You were right. Ron Hainsey has played for all of these teams. I just wanted to flex for a couple seconds. Yeah, great career and a funny guy in his own way. I enjoyed he's he was a challenging interview at times, but whenever you got him, he he would always say something interesting, like very, very smart, um, was watching a lot of what was going on in the other sports leagues and not not surprising for me to see him, you know, end up in a prominent position in the players union after, uh, you know, hanging up his skates. Wow, geez, I got that wrong. He was 2000, not 2002. And he was 13th overall. Well, shows I don't know anything. Anyway, time to talk about the Calgary Flames, CJ. <laughs> Uh, I know a little bit more on that team. Uh, the Calgary Flames, uh, they had their annual golf tournament on Wednesday. A couple of their players were uh, speaking in front of the media, including Noah Hannafin, who uh, told the media he was absolutely open uh, to uh, re-signing with the Calgary Flames. Previously, it had been said that uh, he wanted to play in the United States on his next contract. He's more or less leaving the door open, but he is not the main person I want to start with. We should talk about Elias Lindholm. And uh, he made it pretty clear to us, and he feels he's made it pretty clear to the organization that he would like to stay as a member of the Calgary Flames. We did try to ask him if uh, the front office changes or performance will have anything to do with that decision. He said, no, this it's pretty clear. I've made it pretty clear why I want to stay in Calgary, which to me, this has got to be about money, right? The Bo Horvat contract comparable, the Dylan Larkin comparable, Mika Zibinijad. We've done that throughout the seat throughout the summer. This is a man who wants a little bit more than that eight point seven, probably more than that nine million. How do you see this? Well, what was your impression? Because you were standing there. Of like, yes. what was your read on Lindholm yesterday when you were at the golf tournament? What he said, what his body language was like. 
Like, how, what did you come away? What was your main takeaway from that experience like, and being able to talk to him? Like, you like he, <laughs> I I loved how short and punchy he was, yeah. and just he knows what he wants. This is a guy who knows what he wants. To me, this is about, and I mentioned it earlier. To me, he wants his money. He wants to get paid. The Flames are the only team that could pay him that max contract and give him all that money, even though he's a guy about to enter his age twenty nine season. Like, I, I think, I think sometimes with with some Lindholm interviews, it could be a little bit awkward because he could be a little a little dry, but. I felt his approach on Wednesday was purposeful. Like he, like it was, it was short. He, he, like there were some questions he was just giving like a one word answer to. There was at least one notable one where he was asked, "Hey, do you want to stay in Calgary?" And he's just like, "Yes." Like he didn't give any long preamble. It was just yes, and he, he kept saying, "Like I made it pretty clear I want to stay here." At this point, I, I got the sense that I, I, maybe it doesn't give the most perfect window into how negotiations are going. But to me, this is a guy who. He he's made his demands known, and he is firmly putting his foot in, and it's on the Flames to do something about it. And I have my thoughts on that too. Right. Well, so here's what I saw in the clips from a from a distance, sitting in my yes. living room yesterday watching this. I saw frustration there, and you know, and it's for all the reasons you're saying because I do believe he wants to stay in Calgary. He's made that known for for months now. There was a period of time, I think end of June, maybe even into early July, but certainly end of June, where there was some back and forth between the Flames and his camp. Things were heating up. It looked like it was progressing towards something that could be a deal. And my understanding, Julian, is there's been almost no talk over the summer. Maybe even no talk, but like certainly no negotiations have happened really since then. And so, you know, you can understand why that might be difficult for him. I mean, what do you say at that point? I mean, you say you want to stay. You guys are exchanging some numbers and then all of a sudden it goes quiet for a long period of time. And I don't, I don't know that we can sit on the sidelines and read too much into that. I still think that there's tons of time. The way I would tell you, if we talked about a number of players around the league that are entering the final years of their deals, there's, there's still tons of time to get something done. And I, and I don't think that the fact that it's been quiet will get in the way of getting something done, but at some point something has to happen. And it just feels like there hasn't been, there hasn't been a push to sign them, frankly, um, from the Flames end of things. And, and you know, look, they're dealing with a lot of different players, which it seems like that's going to be a huge story you're telling again and again and again through various lenses of, you know, different players. There's a different calculations, of course, from the organization when working through those decisions, different priorities, perhaps, for each of the players. Um, but, you know, Lindholm, to me, has always seemed like the key decision. I mean, if, if you were going to trade him, I think that that time would have already happened, quite honestly. Like, I don't. I don't see that as, as being as relevant now. Um, it's not to say he couldn't be traded, but most teams have kind of set their, you know, where they're going. And, and I just don't, don't see that making much sense. And so you'd think at some point here, the, the flames are going to have to make a push to sign them, or I guess decide not to. Um, but everything just seems that it's kind of lingering there. And I think if you're probably Lindholm's shoes entering that interview, like you want to get something done, but it feels like the other side, maybe for whatever reason, hasn't made it as big of, a push to do so, like, like, what do you say? And so I think that that's probably why it was, I don't know if it was a weird interview. You're right. I've talked to Elias a few times over the years and like, you know, it, he's from the Northern, more Northern part of Sweden where they're known not to, to be as verbose as you and I are probably. They have a saying up there that, that translates to like the strong silence, like the idea in Northern Sweden, sometimes it's, it's actually a positive to be able to sit and not have to fill all the space with words, you know, to have some silence there. Um, 
but I, th- I think it's a weird, kind of a strange situation for him. And, you know, I don't know. Are they going to make that push before training camp starts? I mean, they've only got a few days here. And if not, it's certainly going to be a storyline, I think, that follows the team throughout the season, not just with him, but Backlund, Tanev, Hannafin, and, and everybody else. Man, I the more I think about this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Craig Conroy, because of the waiting, because of the fact that it's taken this time, the fact that, as you're saying, that there's this there was this dead period after the end of June when the organization straight up said that Elias Linda would be a priority, for one, is shocking to hear. But I think the fact that they've let this sit for as long as they've done Craig Conroy has essentially put himself in an almost a no-win position here because I, I think now if he signs Elias Lindholm to that contract, you're doubling down on this core and you're hoping that, okay, they're built to be talented and compete for Stanley Cups, but are they better than Vegas? Are they better than Edmonton? They could find themselves in that mushy middle. That That's a whole thing in itself. But if you move on from Elias Lindholm now, when players are getting back into the swing of things, a lot of them were telling us about the fact that the roster is more or less the same and they don't have to worry about any shock value. They don't have to worry about any culture shock for anybody. Remember what last season was like when all of that movement was going on with the Gaudreaux and the Kachucks and then you're bringing in Huberto and Uyghur and you're trying to integrate guys? At least that move happened in July and you're trying to get some time in, but it was still weird for all of those guys. Could you imagine if the Flames were in a position now where they were like, oh, we have to move on from Elias Lindholm and they try to find some suitor, which by the way, there are only a small handful of teams who can afford his contract at 4.85 for this year. And there's no guarantee that he might want to extend with those teams. So who knows what you're getting into return? There's so many different scenarios. We're going to tap the the brakes a bit though. There's still time. Like, there's time, yes. Remember, there's but an like, art to a negotiation, and there's like a lot of stuff that goes on in negotiations, and you know, there's still time because I do believe at the end of the day, there is like if we clear everything away, I do believe he wants to be there. I think that they can probably give him the best contract, you know, even more than he can hope to earn as a free agent or potential unrestricted free agent on July 1st. And it might be a one phone call away, you know what I mean? Like, like that I'm I'm guessing that the Flames have a pretty good idea of a number that would get it done. And it might not be a long conversation, really. I mean, obviously, there might be some back and forth on structure and the no move clauses and things like that. But, like, it, it might not be a hard path here to get a deal done if the Flames decide to do so. It's just I, I don't know. I don't know why it's it's been slow. I mean, look, there's been a change in the front office, too. Let's Let's call that as it is. You know, I know that Conroy's been there, obviously, and is familiar with how things operated under Brad true living before him. And, and, but you know, he's got to make his own decisions and there's probably a contract of this size. You're, you're talking to upper management and ownership and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I'm not saying that this should be an easy process necessarily. And he, and again, Lindholm is far from the only player and Calgary's far from the only team that has pretty notable frontline talent that are entering a potential walk year. Um, but, but how mm-hmm. it gets handled, I mean, it's going to define in some ways this era, you know, the early days of Conroy's uh, time running the front office. I think there's no way around it. And, and there's not necessarily, as much as I love Elias Lindholm as a player, there's, there is a debate to be had about what you pay him. And because of his age and how long that contract goes, like I'm, it's, it's, I'm acknowledging it's a difficult thing to maneuver here. But I, I do wonder, you know, how big of a story will this be in training camp if, if it still remains kind of undecided? And 
And will Elias and Lindholm keep taking those questions from people like you and your colleagues out there in Calgary? Like, will he, is he going to want to keep discussing this if it just hangs there? I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, the business side of hockey factors into to the way things play out. And I think this just feels like business that's just been hanging there. And for whatever reason, it hasn't been pushed forward yet. Exactly. I, I, just for me, putting my opinion on all this, I can't see myself giving Elias Lindholm more than $9 million. Like, I, I think if it's at a point where you're Craig Conroy and Elias Lindholm is asking for $9.5, $10 million, I think that's too steep of a price. And I understand that the salary cap could go up. There's also a possibility it doesn't go up as much as we think. And even then, you are committing that amount of money to a player who is closer to exiting their prime as opposed to entering their prime. And again, with the core that you have, and the situation that they had last year, you're hoping that it's better for this season, but you're basically giving yourself another hurdle if you want to retool or if you want to rebuild. Like it, it it's a very delicate situation. That also, I, I'm sure, will have rever- will have reverberations for whatever Noah Hanovan and Michael Backlund also decide to do. I know there's Chris Tanev and Oliver Shillington and a few other players who are pending UFAs, but Hannafin and Backlund have been the the bigger basically we've classified Lindholm, Backlund, and Hannafin as this big three of pending UFAs who move the needle in comparison to some of the other teammates in that same position. Right. And you know what's funny in all of this? I actually have the flames as I'm sort of sizing up the way the league, you know, sits entering the next season. As one of the teams, I expect to have a bit of a bounce back. Like I, I think that. Almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. Obviously, the atmosphere, the vibes were off last year. Um, you know, they brought in a newer, younger head coach who's going to have a different approach. I think some of the players that struggled last year under Daryl Sutter and maybe just being in a new city, new environment, all that sort of stuff are, are probably primed to take a step forward and be more comfortable this time around. And, you know, the, the Flames didn't miss the playoffs by very much last season, despite everything that that kind of went on. And so I actually think it's primed for this to be a, a good year in Calgary. I think, I think that, that that could be a positive sign for some of those players. You know, we'll put Hannafin and Backlund, we'll lump them together. The wait-and-see players, that you know, the guys that, that are, I think, willing to stay if, if they feel like the program's headed in the right direction. You can understand, in, in Backlund's case, having spent his whole career in the city, loves the organization. I mean, he doesn't need to be sold on the merits of the environment, but, you know, he's getting towards the end of his career and, and wants a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and so he wants to feel like that organization is – in a position to push for that. And so I think that all of this, even though the year enters with all these question marks, I could see it swinging in a positive direction. Um, and one way you could do that, you got to engage in negotiations though with Lindholm, right? Like, like you and I could sit here and throw the numbers at the dartboard and we know what the range is, is likely to be for, to get him done. But you know, there has to be some back and forth again and a push to get it done, I think, to make it happen. And you know, who knows by the time this recording's out, maybe they're doing that today. Right. But I do know that it is it sat pretty quiet in terms of actual negotiations on an extension for for a long period of time now. And I think that that's that's kind of created that that weird feeling around that interview you you guys had yesterday. I don't like our episodes being dated, uh, but I think if there's one man who would probably appreciate and be able to ease up if something like this were to be resolved today, it would be Craig Conroy, who just the fact that it's gotten to this point. I don't think that's a plus. I understand he's trying to keep things open, but I think the sooner he deals with this Elias Lindholm situation, the better. It's just he's put himself in a position where, at least to me, it feels like no matter what he's going to do, he's going to step on a minefield of some sort. It's just going to be a tough out regardless. Fair. And remember, though, the good news 
of having players on expiring contracts is they have even more push to, to perform well because they need a new deal wherever it is after this. And so, you know, having players that are expiring deals isn't inherently bad. It's just that you do open yourself up to potentially losing them, which is something the Flames know all too well, given uh, how things went there a couple of years ago. Anything else you want to add on the Flames before I uh, bring up one more story uh, before we get to uh, ask, uh, not ask CJ, it would be stick taps today. No, I just suspect this won't be the last time we touch on the Flames uh, in this next little while. And that's not just because you're based in the city. I think that they're a pretty newsy <laughs> spot in the league right now. It's what it's looking like. Uh, one other story that's uh, kind of surfaced around the time we started recording. Uh, look, it looks like we can get to this while we still have time. Uh, Biosteel. Uh, the sports drink company that uh, we're seeing more and more of around NHL rinks uh, filing for creditor protection in U.S. and Canada. Uh, the CBC uh, put this story up uh, earlier this morning. Uh, a bit of a surprise uh, to see, considering uh, the visibility of BioSteel, not just in the NHL, but their association with other athletes like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I I think the drinks are lovely. They're, they're very nice. Uh, they taste pretty good. Uh, but yeah, very surprising to see a, a company like Biostool be in the situation that they're in. What do it you is, and you know, it it dates back to them being purchased in 2019 from Canopy Growth, another uh, cannabis company that that wanted to sort of expand its drink line, and they're finding that it's been a drag on the overall company's profitability, and now they're seeking to sort of break off the Biostool portion and try to sell it or or wind it down. Uh, but you're right; it, it does it reverberates across hockey because. Not only did this, you know, start with Matt Nickel, the former Maple Leafs trainer who still trains a lot of players in the offseason, uh, Mike Camilleri, who was in the NHL at the time, um, you know, we're among the initial people. I mean, we still have a lot of the top uh, NHL players go to BioSteel camp at the end of the summer, you know, a camp where they're ramping up for training camps with their teams. And obviously the individual athletes are sponsored by the drink. So deep NHL ties there and, and you know, hard to say where it's going to go. Maybe someone else swoops in and buys it, sees an opportunity. Uh, I do know that if you've had a, a late night the night before, it can also be helpful in the morning. So it's not just not just for your workouts, Julian. There's there's a lot of reasons to to drink the pink. Uh, from uh, the CBC article, Canopy Growth's earnings show BioSteel racked up more than 32 million in sales in the first quarter of this year, more than twice as much as it did in the same time last year. But it spent more than 40 million to book those sales, including 12 million in advertising and promotional costs related to their NHL sponsorship. And again, just quoting the article, so the company was losing money on every unit sold. Wow. I, so, that is Sounds like an operational me. issue to me. I mean, they're selling lots of drinks, so they've got to find a way to lower the costs and, and keep rolling out the product. Hopefully, uh, like hopefully, this isn't the end for BioSteel and that there's someone out there that's willing to revamp the company and give it another run. Because so I think it's been a good news story, quite honestly. It, it came out of an NHL locker room way back in the day when Matt Nickel was working for the Maple Leafs, something he was wh whipping up for the players and perfected over time and, uh, you know, became quite a, a success story for, for with hockey background. And Michael Camilleri also involved in that too. Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, this situation resolves itself in a way that doesn't see uh, bio still go away. I very much am a fan of the uh, peach flavored one. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I like the white that, one. That, that it tastes one. like, tastes like a white freezy from back in the day. It does taste like a white freezy. Anyway, uh, we can compare and contrast uh, our favorite BioSteel flavor. You know what? I don't hate the white one. You know what? Let's let's. You know what? Let's <laughs> just take the time to just admire the fact that we discussed a food or beverage 
and we did not fight over it. I know that is so I'm rare for us. That is so rare Thank for God. us. Thank God. Thank God. Good to know the next time we're this. together you know, in person. We, we can't have a meal together because we'll never agree on what the meal should be, but we can sit around <laughs> drinking bile steel and we'll be good. We've only I'm trying to think of the amount of times we've ever eaten together. Maybe like once or twice. There's like a time I remember you devouring a plate of chicken wings. That was I just remember that. That like, vividly. That's on brand. I mean, not on brand for sober September that I'm in right now, but it's on brand for me generally. Yeah, you're you're like a but you like sauce on your wings. Oh yeah. You're a sauce wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very much like a dry, but like you have like a little cup of sauce on the side and then like I uh-huh. dunk my wings. I, I mean, to be honest, I like a chicken wing pretty much any way it comes. I'm not I'm not that fussy about how it is. So flats or drums? Uh drums. But I Okay, yeah. I eat I eat flats too. So but I would prefer a drum. Like if I had a whole plate, I'm probably picking the drum up first. Okay. All right. Uh, now we know. Oh, it's chicken wings. Look again. Peace. More peace between peace CJ in our and time I, on the CJ to... show. It's it. They yeah, said seriously. it wasn't possible, but here we are. We did it. It only took us a hundred and eighty-two episodes. This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you ever find just as you're trying to fall asleep, your brain suddenly won't stop talking? Do your thoughts start racing before bed or at other inopportune moments? You know, it actually turns out one great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk them through. And therapy actually gives you a great place to do that and also to discuss some other things that are personal to you. I know in my personal journey, I've had to go through therapy. And if it's something that you feel it's for you, uh, BetterHelp could be the solution. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can even switch therapists at any time for no additional costs. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Johnston today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Johnston. And now it's time for us to get to stick taps. Uh, I can start, uh, CJ. Mm-hmm. Um, we are Thursday, September 14th, which means tomorrow is Friday, September 15th, which means tomorrow will mark 365 days since I moved from Montreal to Calgary. And it has been a fun time uh, all the way through. And I just want to give a stick tap to uh, the city of Calgary for being uh, so much better than my expectations set it at. And that goes for the people, whether I encounter them at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, whether I encounter them on 17th, uh, basically just really loving the city, really loving the opportunity that I have. And I just want to give a stick tap to everyone who's been supportive of me uh, throughout the move and reading my content and consuming the CJ show and uh, everyone in the city, man. So uh, shout out to Calgary. That is my stick tap. The first stick tap of uh, season three of the Chris Johnston show. CJ, what is your stick tap? Love it. You know, my three closest buddies that I grew up with in the Coburg area all moved to Calgary like 15 or years or more ago, and none of them came back. So Calgary, and, and I don't know that they all planned, certainly at the time when they first moved, they were not planning to stay there long, long term, but the mountains, the lifestyle, everything has got them in and now I'm not getting them back. So now I got to go out to Calgary to see them, which is, which is just fine. Cause I like the city too. My it's stick tap. Today is for actually the creators of Paktoku. And I don't know who the person or people behind that are. Taylor Dixon. Taylor Dixon, a Calgary native. There you uh, go. In Vancouver Canucks, I believe. Uh, he is the creator of Paktoku. But I must say, 
It gave me endless entertainment throughout the summer. I, I literally did it every day. Maybe I missed one here or there, but I, 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 one of the first things I look to do in the morning. And it's actually nice to have a mind game. Like I find that it's actually helping my memory a little bit and tapping into just thinking of old players that I covered or, you know, because the, the real, I'll say this, the real cheat code to fuck Doku is that if you're an old like me, uh, if you can like recall a player from the nineties the or maybe even the eighties, you're way more likely to get a, a small uniqueness score attached to that player. So it's been kind of fun to, to play that game. I think there's all kinds of permutations that, that could still be done. And um, yeah, so I'm going to give my stick tap to something that gave me a lot of entertainment throughout the summer. And I think also is actually not the worst thing for my brain to just have a little, little teaser in the morning to, to get things started. And uh, James Myrtle actually did the Thursday Pakdoku. He was the one behind the puzzle this morning. Oh, and uh, I actually, I had a good one. I think I was in the forties, but I, and, and I only got blown up by one answer, but I was, I was having a pretty good morning there on the Pakdoku. So stick tap to them. Is it shameless if either of us ask uh, Taylor, uh, the Taylor Dixon, the man behind Puckdoku, is it shameless if, if either of us go into their DMs and say, hey, can we do a day? I think it's I'm already shameless that you brought it up. Although, we'll do with it. <laughs> although maybe, Taylor, maybe Taylor isn't listening to the pod, but um, I mean, whatever. Live your best life, man. I, I, would, I would gladly do one. I, I don't know how much room there is. I think there's a lot of room still. This is what I like about it. It just started off, right? You'd have three teams and three teams kind of thing. But, you know, they've expanded into sort of statistical things, 30 plus goals, this or that. And, you know, I've seen like Olympic gold medals or think, you know, I think there's a lot more that you could throw on those categories to spice it up. So I I, I actually think the opportunities to do these puzzles are endless, uh, which is part of the the brilliance of the, the whole thing is in the simplicity of it. And I love it. I, I honestly love it. I won't miss a day. I think I think uh, now that I think about it, I think if we do a CJ show branded one, that might be a really good idea. All right. We're going to have to fight I'll, over what's what's in there, but we'll get creative. Oh, we can get creative. Uh, dude, we need to do a CJ show branded one. Uh, we, we will we will get to that uh, in the meantime, for those listening. And watching thank you so much for doing so please send in your questions for ask cj on monday whether through our discord or on twitter you can tweet at reporter chris or at jka mckenzie to do so uh another stick tap is in order for uh producer maddie smith who's uh been able to produce our show this week while uh, nick andrade uh gallivants in vegas as part of the nhl media tour so thank you so much producer maddie uh for stepping in and producing our show and the Steve Dangle podcast. Uh, pretty big week uh, for producer Maddie. Thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate you. Yeah, she probably appreciates that ours aren't four hours long like each SDP episode. So, yeah, geez. Yeah, those those guys just know it. And plus, considering some of the topics that they talk about too, they talk about pooping themselves at amusement parks. Like, at least we try to stick to the facts here. The worst we got this week was talking about chicken wings. Like, we're not talking about what they're talking about over there. They're, they're, they're wild. stuff over there. Very wildin' over there on the Steve Dangle podcast. Uh, we got to talk about that in the group chat. Anyway, uh, with that, we'll be back on Monday. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Enjoy your weekend. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.